Welcome to this Centrum podcast. For more podcasts or to join Centrum programs building creativity in community, visit us at centrum.org. This is Jazz Voices, a show that features conversations with faculty from Centrum's Jazz Port Townsend, led by Artistic Director John Clayton. I'm Program Manager Greg Miller. Every great musician has been shaped in part by teachers, mentors, or experiences that resonate throughout their lives. We're accustomed to hearing these world-class musicians express themselves through their performances, but they are also thoughtful, articulate, and witty, as you will hear. I hope you'll enjoy this episode of Centrum's Jazz Voices. Welcome, everybody. My name is John Clayton, and so glad you're here. As you can tell, we're already into to our fun conversation, just kind of kind of catching up on each other's lives and figuring out how we're dealing with all of this, all these challenges. But uh, so again, thank you for being here. I also want to uh, let you know that we're spotlighting the maestro, the man himself, Benny Golson tonight. We're going to focus on him and his life and music, music from the eyes of some artists that have played with him that we're so lucky to have with us tonight. Um, before I go any further, I do want to make sure that we give a shout out to Centrum for this platform. Thank you for allowing us to make this happen, Centrum. Um, also, um, Joe, Gillard, Joe Gillard and uh, Greg Miller have done so much to move us forward. Thank you guys for all of your behind the scenes work. And um, we're going to have a great time. We're going to hear some stories and hear some back stories and hear, probably hear a few lies here and there. Knowing my <laughs> friends. Mostly lies. And, I see uh, Terrell Stafford joined us. I know. And we're going to, what's going on, man? We're going to introduce all you guys. Welcome to staff. So uh, as I mentioned, the uh, evening is about the great Benny Golson, who is of course, tenor sax, tenor saxophonist, supreme, a composer and arranger, uh, who was born on uh, January 25th, 1929. He's, wow. That makes him 91. Oh my gosh. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Uh, I won't get into all of his, um, his, his history, his bio, but I do want to mention a couple of things like in his early days, he played with people like Lionel Hampton and with Dizzy Gillespie. Uh, of course, really important years that he was also with Art Blakey and, uh, and his band just made some fabulous recordings of Benny Golson's compositions and arrangements. Uh, in 1959, he uh, started with Art Farmer, the Jazz Tet, and that also was a groundbreaking group that gave us so much music. There was a period after the Jazz Tet that um, he spent about 10 years in Los Angeles as a composer, uh, film writer, TV film writing, um, and did a bunch of things. Kind of pulled himself off of the touring scene uh, by and large, 
But then after those 10 years, he kind of got into it again. And thank God he was on the road, making more recordings, making more live performance performances. Um, also want to make sure that you realize that in 1995, he was, uh, he became a national endowment of the arts jazz master. That was a, a wonderful head nod uh, to this maestro. Um, but tonight, we get to, as I say, get to hear some, I don't know, some viewpoints, some backstories, some, some tales from uh, three men that played with and toured with, um, one of which currently tours with him, uh, the great Benny Golson. Uh, and they all have websites. And you have to check them out because we, I really, I, I, I'd written out all their bios. They've done so damn much that I would, I'd be here all night. We wouldn't have any time to talk about Benny Golson. So, but you have to check their websites out, check their bios out. Um, suffice to say, they are all stellar musicians. We're so honored to have them. Uh, one of the swingingest drummers. If, if, on the planet, period. I, I, I know that his, one of his goals is to swing like the masters that have influenced him. You know what? He does. <laughs> you do. Please uh, say hello, finger snap, hand claps for Carl Allen, ladies and gentlemen. So, Thank you. Carl. Thanks for having me. Uh, and um, the young blood who played with Mr. Golson, my gosh, were you at 18 when you played them? 18 or 20? Something crazy like that. Uh, I'll let you tell us. But uh, we're so honored to have this killing dynamite piano player. Please welcome Jeffrey Kieser. Thank you. Jeffrey. Hello, hello. I I'm muted because it's, uh, it's bedtime and my three-year-old is screaming his head off upstairs. So I'm trying to spare <laughs> you, the, uh, spare you the, the family, the precious family moments here. I, I, I like it. It might be some cool, uh, I won't say bad. He's usually walking around scat singing and clapping and he's, he's oh. like a music machine all day long, but you know, cranky right it. now. Well, there you go. <laughs> what did you expect, my dear friend? Man, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I talk about everything I know. Guys. That's why I got nothing left. <laughs> <laughs> another gentleman who uh, is so bad, I don't even call him by his name, which is terrible. I call him terrible. He's one of the most dynamite trumpet players I have ever had the pleasure to play with, period. And I really mean that. We have with us Terrell Stafford tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, JC. Great to be here. Yeah. Most. Great to have y'all. So, Royalty. Let, let's circle back to Carl Allen, and I kind of want all of you gentlemen to kind of just give us a little bit of your beginnings, you know, where you're from, kind of what influenced you in terms of getting into this music, et cetera, and how that led to Mr. Golson, and, and please, please include how you met Benny Golson. Take it away, Carl. Well, I, I, uh, I like to, some people would say jokingly say that I'm from the jazz capital of the world. Keezer might support this, but uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So, but um, I, I met Benny um, when I was going to school at William Patterson. And, um, and then shortly after that, um, I got a chance, to, I get, he gave me a call to play at the Willowbrook Mall in Wayne, New Jersey. And he still sometimes tells the story because I was so nervous. I was 
kind of afraid to play. And, uh, you know, occasionally he would turn around and look at me and say, you know, play more, you play more. But I was just in awe. I was just like frozen almost, you know. And, um, and that was over 30 years ago. And uh, so I'm very fortunate and blessed to still have a working relationship with him. And, um, you know, just to be on the road and on the bandstand with him and to be able to share that moment either with his quartet or when he had a, a quintet with Eddie Henderson or a sextet with uh, Steve Davis or even the jazz tet with Art Farmer and, uh, and Curtis Fuller. But just being around him um, was the closest thing along with Freddie to playing with Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers, because that was really my dream gig as a kid. But, you know, somebody had that gig that he wasn't going to leave the band anytime soon. So, but um, just playing with, with, with Mr. Goldson is just such an honor and a treat. He's such a gentleman. And he's taught me so much, not just about music, but just about humanity and about people and just about life. And um, every day is just a lesson being around him. Wow. Jeffrey, how about you? How, tell us a bit about your beginnings and how all of those things led to you. Yeah, I, I met Benny Golson because I was in the Jazz Messengers when I was 18. And it was 1989. And the very first tour I did was uh, like a Messengers plus All-Star Messengers, like All-Star Alumni Messengers. So it was the, the, the regular band that I was in uh, plus... Jackie McLean and Benny Golson and Curtis Fuller. So we went on the road in Europe for five weeks. Remember those five, remember five weeks in Europe <laughs> or eight weeks, <laughs> you know, but um, that was great. I mean, I was just like, I was 18 and, and I was on the road with my heroes, people that I grew up transcribing and listening to. And all of a sudden I was just, you know, there, there it was. Um, but uh, after that, um, I, I, he called me a few times to work with him for a few tours in the 1990s. Um, one tour was more or less a jazz tet tour. Uh, I, I had been an art farmer's band. In fact, Carl and I worked in art farmer's band uh, for, for a number of years in, in the early 1990s. And then um, one of the, one of the Benny Golson Europe tours was kind of a reform jazz tet. It was, it was Curtis and, and, and art Brian Lynch did half of it and art farmer did the other half. And um, yeah, I mean, it was so cool just to play that music like with with the man himself, you know, and and but the thing about about Benny Golson is he didn't he wasn't like a, a like like a repertory act or a legacy act like he 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 had updated his music, a lot of it written a different like the tune Stable Mates that everyone knows, you know, um, there's that the turnaround at the end you know two five one so he had added an extra four bars to the form so he went e flat minor a flat plus you know and then he went back to e flat you know then and then it was like a d flat minor to a g flat then it went back to the top to e minor to a so it's like you know he was just doing little making little tweaks to the music all the time you know um, interesting though. And, and playing like, I mean, people sleep on him as a, as a, just as a sax player, you know, I mean, he's, he's, he's obviously, you know, one of our most well-known composers in jazz and wrote so many, you know, quote unquote hits. I mean, you know, like 
you know, along came Betty and, and Are You Real and Whisper Not and, and, and Killer Joe, of course, being the one that people know the, the most. But um, Benny as a, it's almost like two different people, I think. When I think of him as a composer, he, he has a certain sound as a composer and then he has a certain sound as a player, which are kind of different from each other. You know what I mean? Some people write like they play, you know? You have a certain way that you play. Freddie kind of, I think Freddie kind of wrote the way he played, you know? You know, you can hear Freddie solo and that could be like a Freddie tune, you know? But Benny, Benny's like a different, they're, they're two different things. And, and, and he's, you know, harmonically, you know, as interesting and as forward thinking or looking as like Train or, um, you know, or Wayne Shorter, like from that same generation. In fact, they used to practice together, I guess, Benny and Benny Colson and, and Coltrane would practice, you know, together often um, back in the old days. But but it was like they, they both worked out different ways of getting at the same kind of thing, you know, like different doors to the same room or something, you know. It's, it's really interesting to, to play with Benny and hear all that, all that beautiful snaky, you know, harmonic stuff that he does. Still does. I mean... Yeah. Terrell, how about give us a little bit of your beginnings and how to kind of also, you know, so we understand who you are and where you came from, et cetera, but also how it led to your time with uh, Benny Golson and, and meeting him as well, please. Yeah. So, um, you know, from my beginnings, more or less, just really quickly, you know, I, I did not grow up um, with, with the, the opportunity to really play much jazz. I grew up you know, playing all classical music. And, you know, and, and to me, when it, when it comes to, for me being, you know, growing up with classical music, it was a lot of time I spent on my own, you know? Um, and if you were in groups, um, you were just in groups to play the music. You weren't in that group to, to socialize sometimes, you know, sometimes you could be, um, but everybody would be pretty standoffish. You know, you practice your part or you work on your concerto and you come in and you play it. And, and, um, and so I go through this life thinking that I was going to play in the Chicago Symphony. That was my goal, you know. Um, and then I met Bud Hurst, the principal of Chicago Symphony. And he told me, he said, you know, I said, he says, Tara, what do you want to do? I said, I want to be just like you, Mr. Hurst. And Mr. Hurst said, don't be like me. Be like, be like my friend, who's the world's greatest trumpet player. And I said, who is your friend? He goes, his name is Clark Terry. Be like him. Don't be like me. And so, you know, after I, I, I met Clark Terry, there was something that was really unique about meeting someone like that because he was just so warm and gentle and open and I hadn't really experienced that you know not to say that there aren't people in the classical world that are like that that have those that that feeling but then um after I met Clark Terry it's like the world opened up because Clark started to introduce me to everyone meet this person meet this person meet this person meet this person and I met Benny Golson um through Jimmy Heath I was playing with Jimmy Heath and Benny Gosen came and Benny Gosen said, so, you know, who's this, who's this trumpet player? And, and, and um, Jimmy Heath says, yeah, he's from Philadelphia. I'm not from Philadelphia, but if Mr. Heath says I'm from Philadelphia, I'm from Philadelphia, you know? So, so, so Jimmy Heath told everybody, yeah, he's from Philadelphia. So we finished playing, we played the next set and Benny Gosen said, I got a name for you. And I said, what's that? He goes, I'm going to start calling you Philadelphia flash. I said, okay, that's great. I'm from Miami. Don't call me Miami Flash. That's not nearly as good. <laughs> so, so I accepted Philadelphia Flash. And um, the, 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 I think one of the first gigs I did with Benny Golson was uh, actually subbing for Art Farmer 
Um, and it was like a, it was a, it was a jazz cruise, a two week jazz cruise. And it was, you know, how the cruises, they sometimes mix match bands together. But, but that was my first experience. And I was, I was scared to death. I mean, I had always adored Art Farmer. And when I adore a lot of things about Art Farmer and Benny Golson, the two things I adore most is that um, Art Farmer was just such a gentle, gentle spirit and was just so honest with me um, when I would ask him questions about the trumpet or his approach. He was just so honest and so shy in a way. I'm not sure if he was shy to everyone or if it was just a trumpet player, but he was shy. But once you got to know him, he was just so willing to just give you any the information. And I feel that way about Benny Golson. You know, I feel, you know, the fact that he won't allow you to call him Mr. Golson says a lot, you know, like someone of his stature, we should be calling him like Maestro Golson, you know, President Golson, you know, I wish we could call him that now. Um, but, um, but yeah, the fact that, you know, you call him Benny and he treats you as if he's known you forever. And, and to me, that, that means a lot, you know, coming from a world that, you know, you were judged by how you played or how many notes you, you missed or didn't miss to a world that, you know, you're, you're judged by how much love you can give and how much love you can show. The thing that's also beautiful about, about him is that he's always forward thinking. At 91, he's never, he's never complacent. Benny's a little bit, and I mean this in the, in the best possible way, he's a little bit like Mr. Rogers, you know? He's, he's, he's just like super, super gentle, kind, you know, never says a bad word, never heard him use a curse word, you know? In fact, I, I heard, I, I saw he, one time he, he slammed his, accidentally got his hand pinched in a car door and he goes, gosh, darn it. You know, <laughs> just really like, you know, that was like the maddest he gets. But, you know, I have to say like, so, so Benny uh, became uh, friends with my dad in, in my dad's later years. And when my dad was in hospice uh, this year, earlier this year, Benny wrote, wrote him like a really beautiful email you know, just, just telling him how much he appreciated him and, and like what, you know, and just, just, it was just the nicest thing in the world, you know, just, uh, and Benny would, Benny does that. Like, I wonder if, like, I mean, I'm, I was kind of wondering if he was going to be on this meeting, you know, if we were going to are we, are we going to hear from the man himself or, or we'll probably not, out. maybe that'd be, that'd be super cool. Um, I'd love to say hi, but, uh, yeah, I mean, and and another thing is 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 he's so ridiculously smart. Um, basically, anytime I I get an email from Benny, I have to go look up about half the words in the dictionary. I'm with you, me and man. It's a vocabulary builder every time. <laughs> I think all of us know about that. <laughs> but that's who he is, man. He's just he's just like this beautiful super super vibrating at a super high level cat you know it's yeah. terrell how about you are there incidents that you've had many i'm sure one that you, you can share that really kind of speaks to benny golson the man that 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 joe public guy yeah well there's there's a couple uh, one was um you know i, I remember i, I bought Benny in, to, to Temple University years and years ago to speak to the students. And so I, I tell the students, I said, you know, make sure you have a lot of questions, you know? And so all the students came to this masterclass with, you know, at least 
eight questions a piece. And Benny Golson got in front of those students and he saw those students and he talked for two hours and the students didn't get a chance to ask one question, but all their questions were answered. You know what I mean? He was just telling story after story after story. And like, the more he told, the more like engaged people got. It was, it was amazing. But one funny, one funny story is that, um, so when we, there was a, we were doing this cruise together and, and the first week of the cruise, um, you know, we would play. And then after we would play, we would all go sit and eat and talk and, 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 and chat and everything. And so um, there was one night that, that I did, didn't go eat and chat with them. And so I guess, I think Benny and Curtis probably went back to Benny's room to hang out. And my room, I was in the middle, like Benny's room was here. My room was in the middle and Curtis's room was over here. And so um, I guess someone above or below Benny's room was had some uh, illegal substance that they were, you know, doing on the balcony. So they're out there doing this illegal substance so that the next day, you know, I, I see them at breakfast and they're looking at me, looking at my eyes. They're like, so how you feeling today, Terrell? I'm like, I'm great. How you doing? <laughs> so, so that night, so that night, um, I guess their plan was like, we're going to keep Terrell with us as long as he can. So he can't go back to his room and do what he was doing. <laughs> but they kept me, they kept me in the dining area and Curtis went to his room one night. And whoever was doing it was doing it, but I was with Benny in the dining room. So Curtis came back and said, wasn't him. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't him. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> just they, they wanted to look out for me so much. They were gonna keep me with them so that I didn't entice myself to do the wrong thing, so to speak. No, they didn't want to lose their gig. They know if you get busted, <laughs> man, they're out of trumpet player. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, that's great. That's great. You know, one one other thing I was I was going to mention, I think it had frozen for a minute. But at one point, you know, Benny had a, a, a studio in Manhattan that, that he just used to write out of, you know. And um, I had gone by there one day for something. And I'm, and I'm looking and on top of the piano, there were just stacks and stacks of manuscript paper. And some of these some of the, some of the sheets would have three notes Another sheet might have four or five chords, but just, just incomplete stuff, right? And I said to Benny, I said, Benny, what's, what's all of this, just this scrap paper? He said, no, no, Carl, that's not scrap. He said, I have to tell my cleaning lady, don't throw that stuff away. That's real important. I said, well, well what is it? He said, well, sometimes I'll just have an idea and write it down, but one of those could be my next killer Joe, so I, I got to keep it. <laughs> but he was always writing, and whenever he would hear a chord or a certain melody or phrase he would write it down and he just saved it and he would talk about how sometimes he would go back and pull those out and use them in other pieces fascinating see that's the kind of stuff as a writer composer i i'm totally interested in that because i want to find out how other composers arrangers do things you know what what do you eat for breakfast and what's your technique and what do you are you know how do you perceived lines do you find that you set up a lot of you know chord changes bass before you add a melody on top is it the other way around you know I'm all that stuff fascinates me so I love hearing that you know and we're and we're talking about Benny but we're also talking about Benny's music I know that the three of you have chosen some things that you wanted to share with us 
And uh, so now, now would be a good time. I don't know, when is there something you want to introduce us to and kind of, uh, and give us a bit of, of a preface, a bit, a bit of an introduction to and sort of set up whatever it is you'd like for us to hear? Is there something that you've uh, uh, chosen? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I picked a couple of videos and and one is uh just a audio recording of um a record that we made when we were on tour with benny um in europe and we had like a day off so he had booked a studio and just decided to make a record um and i think it was just i think it's killer joe um so yeah i mean we could just play the track if you want it's just it's it was one of the one of the touring bands i was in with benny and we made a record who were the musicians <laughs> in the band? Uh, it was uh, Dwayne Burno was on bass. Um, it actually might say, yeah, it's that one. I think it was Art Farmer was on it. Um, there's a bunch of, this record is like a bunch of different things all mixed together, but the session I was on, it was Art and Curtis and Ben. So I guess essentially it's the jazz tet and, and Dwayne Burno on bass. And I think it was Joe Farnsworth playing drums, if I'm not mistaken. Great. Man, you know what? And and the thing about and Curtis too, Curtis's time is ridiculous. Like he he just swings all the time, like so hard. Like no matter what else is happening, when Curtis comes in, it's just like the time is just right there, you know? Yeah. Um but that was cool because I mean you could hear like what I was talking about with Benny's playing and 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 that 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 harmonic language that that's so advanced, you know. 
but like a different way of looking at it that then then like the train or you know or michael brecker or wayne Shorter, you know that kind of thing it's like like a different snaky almost coleman hawkins playing like hyper modern or something i don't know what it is it's it's, it's different do you, you know, know i mean I, where do you think he got the the snaky stuff from was that like paul gonzalez was that you know who do you think kind of contributed to that in probably all that i mean i never asked asked him about it so I, I don't know but i know that he used to practice with train so maybe they had some common you know shared some dna that way but uh you but know, I, I i mean it makes me think of coleman hawkins too and yeah. you know the, the thing but, you know, I, I also think it has something to do with the way that he writes. And every time he plays, he's thinking about orchestration. Mm. You know, and, you know, so you hear him play and you can hear the extensions, the harmonies. Like with that record with Shirley Horn, that was something that he had written. He had written uh, this piece with 12 cellos and for Shirley, something for that record. And just, you know, you just say, who would write something for 12? <laughs> you know but that's just how he hears man i love that yeah and and um also an, another facet of his line of of his soloing that i i really love and i find is that no matter how out or snaky it is when he settles on a note at the end of a phrase if it's a longer note he always adds some warmth you know, it's always, you know, he adds some, some kind of color on that. And that, man, that just, and I find that a beautiful blending of those, you know, the Don Bias, the, the Coleman Hawkins, whatever, with the more modern kind of lines and things that he plays. That That's just one of the, my perspective, one of the things that I love about him. And that was his, I mean, that was his, his big hit, Killer Joe, which I'm so glad he got the rights back to. I, I remember you guys know this because you played with him. You've heard him talk about it probably even more, definitely more intimately than uh, I did. But, you know, it was explained to me by him that um, like so many jazz musicians, you know, you, you make a mistake and you end up for whatever reason because of some scrupulous uh record label person uh signing off your rights and allowing and now you're not getting the royalties from your composition and uh, people like horace silver had to go through that uh benny golson there's a list of people that, that knock on wood and you know many of them were able to eventually um get it back but i don't know I don't know how much money they actually lost in that whole process, but um, that's some of the some of the struggles of being a musician, not just a jazz musician, but definitely a jazz musician. But well, Benny's very smart and savvy about that. And if you notice, if you look at any of his music, like you'll pick up six or seven pieces of his music, and on the bottom, some see two or three different names of publishing companies. Mm. has different publishing companies for different things you know and i think i'm sure that factored into all of that just what you had mentioned mm -hmm. smart man Jeez. so carl yeah. yeah what did you bring that that uh you want us to check out that shows some of the magic of mr benny golson so i think uh, one of the things was a youtube clip from a concert in europe with the jazz tech 
Uh, I believe that's what they may have. Maybe they have that queued up and just. Um, who was in the you band? Know, it, who was in the band? Yeah, so yeah, so with Curtis and uh, an art farmer, Buster Williams, and uh, I believe Mike Ladon hmm. was on that, or maybe Michael Weiss. But um, but just to show his writing and and just the blending of the harmonies in the front line and you know the way that he would write and play, it just made you kind of be a part of that. You know, when you play it, it just made you think about, it's not, you know, Benny's music is very interesting because it's, it's, you have to really know the song as opposed to, you know, with some tunes you solo, you just go do whatever you want to do. But his music requires you to really understand the song so you can be inside of it. So I think they have something from, uh, from one of those. Programs. Thank <laughs> you. 
So, so Carl, um, that's just so, I mean, that solo was just so beautiful, so amazing. How did you, how, how do you play differently when you're playing with Benny Golson? That's a great question. Well, um, I, well, I think as I try to do with most people, but it, it really makes me try to get inside of where he's at because he loves conversation when he plays. He loves to hear, you know, you talking back at him, you know, and I've, I've come to understand the things that he likes, how you end phrases and kind of be inside of rhythmically turnarounds because he's really big on on turnarounds you know and um so it's really kind of forced me to to know how to support his phrasing in, in a way that's going to push him and you know and try to keep the conversation engaging musically speaking yeah 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 and for our friends that, that may not understand turnaround that that's basically what's done uh, musically, harmonically, etc. At the end of a section, before before you go on to the next section, basically that turnaround section is setting up the beginning of the next section. So he does those a certain way. You say, "Oh yeah, yeah, wow. yeah." And when you listen to him, everything that we were just talking about, like the slippery, snaky phrases mm -hmm. and stuff, it's just um, it, you just. Every time he plays, it, 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 for me, when I'm playing with him, I, I, I see images because he creates these soundscapes that just creates these images, like he's painting a picture every time, mm. you know, so it's, um, I just try to get inside of that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Jeffrey, how do you, how does his, his playing make you play differently, say, than you would with uh, other people? What? What things does Benny Golson bring out of your playing? Well, you know, it was, it's interesting because uh, when we were listening to that recording of Killer Joe and I was listening to my comping and I, I realized I was going bum, 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 over and over and over. And I, and I thought to myself, why the heck did I do that? I wouldn't normally do that. And then it, the memory came back to me. And this was from 25 years ago, but it was like he actually wanted me to do that. Cause that, that's my, my ordinary impulse would be to try to mix it up and break it up and not just play that pattern over and over, but he really wanted that. He just, and I think it was, it was kind of like, you, you know, giving him something to play off of, you know, to create contrast with maybe cause art, art farmer would do that too. Art, like sometimes art would play things like, you know, if we were playing like in the key of B flat minor and he would deliberately play B d naturals and a naturals like you know play like major basically and and you know if i tried to adjust my voicing on the piano to, to match he'd say no 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 don't do that just you just keep playing minor and i, I want that rub you know I, I want that that tension and and so you know maybe it had something to do with that um but you know also because because of the way benny plays he it's very unpredictable and there's that element of surprise all the time. So it definitely makes me focus in and listen. Like you can't, you can't ever go on autopilot playing with him, you know, <laughs> you can't just take a mental vacation and be like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll just, I'll just wait this out till it's my turn to solo. No, you got to be there, you know? <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. Daryl, how about you? And how did you, how'd you 
sort of play differently standing next to Benny Golson than other saxophone players? Um, well, Benny has a very unique attack, you know. Um, so, I mean, I, I think when I started to play with saxophone players, the thing that I always wanted to do was match their attack, <clears throat> but then find where their core is and try to match that too and find pitch and, and everything. So, you know, with every single saxophone player you play with, you, I, for me, I find different syllables to kind of match them. Because if I change the this, this shape of my mouth from a from an O syllable to an A syllable, it adjusts the way I fit into someone's sound. And so Benny's um, sound to, to fit in his sound, I always remember was nowhere near an E syllable. It was always closer to an O or an A because an O brings the most warmth and his sound had so much warmth in it. Um, and, and, and the attack, the O syllable also, give a certain attack too, you know? So I found adjusting to that. Uh, I love playing all the melodies with him. You know, you hear recordings of him playing it, the way that he would play melodies, the way, you know, the way he would approach things. And I found it, I found similar to what, what Carl had said earlier, you know, when I would listen to Benny, I, I would see and hear shapes, you know, and he would imply shapes all the times. It was, it was a, uh, whether the shapes were like, right in the time or if it was implied over the time, he had just a masterful way of playing shapes. So that if you follow someone like Benny Golson, his soloing, first of all, you don't have anything else to play. But the second thing is that you wanna try to, to, to be influenced by his solo. You know, you wanna take, you know, let his, let his salutation be your greeting. And that would be the hardest thing in the world to do because he'd finish and you're like, <laughs> what do I do now? But but it, it it takes you to a place that's not so comfortable. And I think that was the, the thing that, that I appreciated. I mean, I I was just in awe every time Benny would take a solo and still to this day I am. And I and the, the thing that I love hearing most is when he plays a ballad. I, there was there was a point that uh, I asked Frank West, I said, you know, you know, I love the way Frank West plays ballad. And uh, I said, so Frank, who, who are some of the people that you think play ballads? Well, here he goes, that Benny Golson can play a ballad. And so, you know, um, I, I just love hearing him play ballads. I love the sound he gets. I love the vibrato. You know, people, horn players don't talk about vibrato all that much, but Benny has a very unique vibrato. And to play, to play a note with him, you have to figure out where that vibrato is and how to match it or not use a vibrato at all. So to play with him, you learn about vibrato as well. And hearing him play a ballad, you get to really appreciate vibrato as an art, which, you know, most people just say, just, just put a shake on it, you know, but it's, it's more than that. It's a color, it's the, 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 the speed of the vibrato. So the way Benny could manipulate the, the, the warmth of a sound and the vibrato was like amazing as a horn player. That's incredible. And I know Terrell, you also brought something for us to listen to. Um, I don't know if that would be a ballad or whatever it is, but why don't you share or tell us a bit about what it is you'd like for us to hear. Okay. So, so basically, um, after Frank told me that I went and just started to listen to a bunch of, to, you know, a bunch of recordings that I could find of Benny, but this one in particular really got me. So I'll play this for you. Thank you. 
See what you mean. That's some beautiful stuff, man. Sheesh. And it's it's just so fascinating and beautiful. I love that record, by the way, <clears throat> to hear his voice. And I've said this before, but his voice standing out the way it recognizably stands out. But when you analyze it, you can hear all these other sort of layers that speak to sort of uplifting his voice and defining his voice that's it's just something that's true of all of us you know there it was as i'm listening to him benny uh benny golson and i'm i'm feeling those those other uh people that i can sort of define in my mind but obviously there are a bunch of people i don't even know about <laughs> you know i don't know that i don't know the nursery rhymes he listened to and sang when he was a kid and what he heard in his church if he went to one or what his mother sang him you know all that stuff's in there too <clears throat> wow that's a that's a great record so now you, you know go ahead please the, the other thing that's interesting and if you get to know benny you know and if anyone who's come to any of his performances you know he likes to talk right and he's got a story for every song and and so Titles mean something to him. You know, the one song he says that the title didn't mean anything was Whisper Not. He said he just liked those two words together, right? 
But if you think about Killer Joe, I remember Clifford, Alone Came Betting, you know, Blues March, there's a story for all of them. But it also, for me, talks about, it really think, helps me to, to think about how intentional he is about how he plays. Because every time he plays, he's trying to add to that story or whatever the song is about. So it's not just playing a sound over a chord. It's just, you know, he's telling the story. Wasn't the story with Blues March, like like he brought that in to, to Blakey and Blakey was like, you want me to do what? Yeah, <laughs> nobody plays a march in jazz. Right, right, right. <laughs> And and he and he he would do that like he he had that tune called uh, Gypsy Jingle Jangle that was a polka, a jazz polka. It was like Oktoberfest. You want to just have a big beer and you know pretzel and just go. But it was killer because he just like he was all fair game, you know. Yeah. Why not? You know. I love that because people sort of bow down to the younger artists who do that ain't nothing new <laughs> you know Benny Golson had writing polkas for jazz bands I, I love that so you know or, or that tune of his sad to say which is like Chopin it's just a straight notated you know just beautiful beautiful piece with a melody we aren't we used to play that with our farmer you know look that one up sad to say yeah gorgeous um okay we're gonna take the gloves off now okay y'all <laughs> tell me some standout experiences that you've had with benny golson on the road on the bandstand whatever stuff that makes you just smile inside every time you think i know all of you have a list of those kinds of things uh, and it you know it doesn't especially have to be funny but just some they really stand out uh moments Carl, I see you smiling the biggest. <laughs> well, there, there are several, but I'll, I'll tell you, um, you know, Jeff was talking about how you, ne you never see Benny get upset. And, uh, and I, I actually witnessed it twice, but it wasn't crazy over the top. But one time, which was a very, it was a great life lesson. We were in Europe. And we were in Germany and I remember him saying one night, okay, so fellas, tomorrow we have to pull out 10 o'clock, we gotta go, so let's, let's be ready. So if Benny says leaving at 10, of course he's downstairs in the lobby already ready to go at nine with his brown suede Ferragamos on and a newspaper, he's ready to go, right? So I remember coming downstairs, checking out about 9.30 and, uh, and he's sitting there reading the paper. And it was one of these hotels where, you know, in the lobby, you can look up and see where people are coming out of their room, right? So his bags are in the van, my bags are in the van, and, you know, and uh, bass player's bags are in the van. And so at, at five minutes to 10, I can tell he's getting antsy and he's fidgeting. And, um, and then he sees the piano player leaves his room to come down. And he just looks at me. He says, Carl, I have a question for you. I said, yeah. Who can we get to play piano on the next tour? I said, what do you mean? He says, um, what time is it? I said, it's 5 to 10. He said, yeah, my bags are in the van. Where are your bags? I said, they're in the van. He said, you've checked out, right? I said, yeah. 
I'm checked out too. He said, now this fella, you know, Benny likes to say that. He said, this fella is just now coming downstairs. And so what if there was a long line here and we could not be ready to leave at nine? He's disrespecting our time. He says, it's unacceptable. So let me know if you come up with a name. And he didn't crack a smile. I was like, whoa. <laughs> I was like, that's 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 why that's why we have what we call in the industry fake lobby calls you know if you know you need to leave at 10 you tell the cats yeah we're, we're leaving at 9 30 you know then cats will you know i really yeah, wouldn't I, give a fake lobby call if it's 10 you ready to go buckled up ready to go at at five minutes too listen that that happened to me with with jim hall i uh when i was working with jim in in europe and and i had previously was on the road with an, a different band that was pretty loose with the, the lobby time, you know, like cats would come down like a half hour late, 45 minutes late. So I started to get loose too. I'm like, well, I don't want to be the first one down. I don't want to be unhip, you know? And, and so, and then I went on the road with Jim and it was like, you know, a 10 AM and I came down at like nine 59 and Jim was like, I don't know, man, this isn't going to work. You know, <laughs> so, you know, basically if you're not early, you're late, you know? Same thing, you know. Yeah, I I had that experience going from Monty Alexander's band, which is also pretty loose, and then joining Basie's band. And if you weren't on the bus by the time you were supposed to leave, you found your own way to the airport. That was a quick wake up call for me, boy. Growing up fast, <laughs> but but that that also speaks to uh, being a band leader, right? Uh, and we all do it our way. You know, I, Jeffrey, I'm kind of like you. I, if I see some trouble uh, in the band in terms of responsibility, uh, I, I'll, I'll try to do something to take the pressure off of having to look at my watch. So I'll, I'll do that, like you said, the, the fake lobby call thing and say, hey, guys, uh, or, or sometimes I'm a, little, I'm a little straight up and down. I'll say, okay, okay bags at 930 leaving at 10, you know. Sure, yeah, there's that. Good, but um, sometimes that's necessary. But then, but then, you know, the cats start to get hip to the fake lobby call thing, you know, and then you have to give a fake, fake lobby call, you know. It's just stupid micromagic. <laughs> stupid. You know? But, God, I, what I would give for a fake lobby call right now, you know? I, I said what I would give for a fake lobby call right now. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'd be early. I'd be anything you want a day in advance. That's right. That's right. Uh, so yeah, since you, since your mic's open, Jeffrey, tell us a a, a fun. Uh, oh yeah, here. yeah. So so I I was um, for a period in the nineties. I I was living in in Japan, uh, with my ex wife at the time, a Japanese wife, but. But um, so like around 1996, 97, I get this phone call. And, and well, so the context is I had I had written an arrangement like a like a fusion arrangement, electric arrangement of Whisper Not. And it was really complicated and had all this stuff in it and bass lines and, you know, and I thought it was like I had really kind of done something I updated or done something really hip with it or whatever, you know, and uh, and the phone rings at about, uh, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon, and it's Benny Gold, and I sent it to him, I sent this thing, like a recording of this to him that I had done in my home studio. And the phone rings, and it's Benny Golson. And he says, he says, Jeff, 
This is Benny. It's three o'clock in the morning here in New York, and I just woke up and I was thinking about you, so I thought I'd call it, give you a call. I said, wow, you know, great to hear from you, Benny. How's it going? He says, well, I got the recording of Whisper Not that you sent me, and I start sweating. I'm like, oh God, he's going to hate it. What's he going to say? And he goes, and to tell you the truth, I thought you were going to do more with it. He's, it was like, it was like, you know, I thought you were going to really just take it all away, you know, but it was pretty conservative what you did. <laughs> you know, wow, you know, totally not what I expected him to say, you know. That's amazing. Well, he yeah. leads the way in terms of, of, you know, the angular lines and, and unpredictable things. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I thought what I wrote was hip, but he was like, no, no, man, just, just, you know, just take it and really transform it, make it your own, you know? So I was like, oh, wow, cool. You know, it's very encouraging like that. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Terrell, do you have any, uh, any Benny Golson insights? Well, it wasn't when, uh, when uh, I, I played with him, but it was uh, the, the Detroit Festival, um, you know, they invited the, the Temple University Band to play. And they said, you know, we want Temple Band to play. And, and who was your recent guest artist? And I said, Benny Golson. And they were like, perfect. Let's have Benny Golson. And so, um, but, you know, the Detroit Festival is like, you know, at the end of August and school ends the end of what, May or something like that, end of April. So, you know, Benny's like, this is perfect, Tarot. You know, you guys, we just did this concert in the spring. Everything is good. We'll have a good time. I said, Benny, should we get there a day early and rehearse? No, we did all this music. You guys got it down. So the band hadn't played all summer. And so we, uh, we get on this concert to play and, you know, we don't, we just did a quick sound check and we start to play. Everything is going great. And Benny comes over and he goes, I told you everything was going to be okay. I'm like, you're right. You're right. You're right. So we get to, I remember Clifford and the rhythm section kept playing the first ending over and over and never went to the second ending. So the tune's going, Benny's soloing, going and going and going and Benny's playing and he's looking at me and I'm like looking at the band and finally I just shout a letter and they they end the they end the tune. Benny plays a little cadence and they end the tune and he leans over and he goes, that was enough time for Clifford to come back and take a solo. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it went forever, you know, and we couldn't figure out how to stop it. He just kept playing. He didn't say, but oh my gosh, it was, it was something else. <laughs> Liz, I, I'm kind of opening up before we leave here uh, for a couple of, so I want you gentlemen, please, if there's anything else that you, that you think is cool to share, um, just open your mic and go for it. Cause I, I, I do want to, um, I do want to do something else, but I, I want to give you the opportunity to. I'll just say one last thing. This this kind of speaks to his humanity. You know, whenever you play the Blue Note or the Cotton Club in, in Japan, they have people there to really look after you. You know, they, they're taking your food ordered and helping you to the bus and all of this stuff. And every time we're there, and we usually go every year, and um, but Benny's always very intentional about making sure guys in the band he'll say so fellas you know at the end of the week i'm gonna leave something for whoever was looking after us and you don't have to but it would be a nice gesture but just the fact that he was always mindful 
to show how much he appreciated them looking after us. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that a lot of people will probably kind of take for granted or look over, but he was always very mindful about showing gratitude and appreciation for people who looked after him, you know, and uh, speaks to the man of who he is, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I have to say that um, maybe it was two or three years ago at Centrum and um, we, the, the combo that I had was, was, was the Benny Golson combo. And we were playing the music and one of the, one of the students said, you know, is Mr. Golson a nice guy? You know, you know, what kind of person is he? And I said, well, if you want to know what kind of person he is, let's find out. So I just on a whim, I called, called Benny and I said, Hey, Benny, how you doing? He goes, Philadelphia flash. I said, everything is great. I said, I'm here with a combo and we're playing your music. And um, they just wanted to get a perspective of who you are. And so Benny introduces himself and he asked everybody to give their names and they gave their names and he asked everybody what instrument they played and where they were from. And then he asked what tunes we were playing and he gave stories behind the tunes that we were playing. And, and it, was, it was a beautiful, beautiful moment that when we got off the phone call, these kids had been touched in a way that they'll never be touched again. To, to hear the stories from the composer, hear what a beautiful person he is, you know, here's laughter, you know, here's humor. And uh, that just speaks to me volumes about who he is as a person. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Well, you know, we're lucky that the maestro Benny Golson actually has come on and he's been with us this whole time. So I'd love to, uh, Joe, if you can help us out by finding Mr. Golson and having him come on and, uh, and say a quick hello and either corroborate or call these gentlemen a bunch of liars. <laughs> but no matter what, we just, we're so glad that you're with oh, us. And there might be a, there he is. There he is. Hey. Golson. How are you, Maestro? I, I can't believe this last hour. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, indeed. And well, I remember most of the things that they were talking about. You remember them? Yeah, let me begin with Jeff Keezer. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> the first time I heard the Jazz Messengers, and he was the piano player, I couldn't believe it. I'm looking, listening to this kid, and this kid... He knew all the new stuff. And then as time went on, he knew the old stuff too. I couldn't figure that out. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think if we hang on long enough, he's going to be significant. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on it, man. I'm <laughs> You're almost there, Jeff. I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> I listened to him play and he has that thing which is essential if one is going to be a musician. 
And what is I can't think of what it is. Oh. Now let me get it right now. He's got to have Oh, this is embarrassing. The ability, well, let me put it in words. He's got to have the ability to create, to give birth to things that had no prior birth. And that's like waiting in the waiting room, you know, at the hospital, you know, the baby's about to be born and you know, don't know whether it's gonna be fat, short, tall, handsome, crying, you have no idea until they bring the baby out. And in most instances, that's the way we are as jazz musicians. Somebody asked me once, are you going to play? I forgot what the song was. I said, oh yeah, we're going to play tonight. And then he followed that up with, what solo are you going to play? <laughs> and I said, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I, I have no idea. You don't know what solo you're going to play? I said, no, I have no idea. I said, jazz is about the moment. I hope that I make sense with what I play, but I have no idea. Because some nights you can't, like Phil Woods, Phil Woods used to say, you're trying to take your airplane up and it, and it won't go up. And so everything you do is not what you really wanted to do. And at the end of the night, the people are patting you on the back and telling you how great you are. And you're standing there feeling like you wanna apologize to everybody. So we never let the applause tell us who we are. We have to know who we are before we hear anything from the audience. So sometimes it's a challenge. Maestro, be sure to tell us about Carl Allen. Carl Allen, you mentioned that gig in Jersey. I had heard that he was a pretty good drummer and I was, how can I say it? I was waiting for a treat and this guy and I didn't, I wasn't quite sure what it was then. He was so scared. It was like the thin man was back there on the drums. I had to finally tell him, like he said, Carl, don't be afraid. Just, just open up. And when he finally did about halfway through the gig, it was great. And it's gotten greater since then. Oh, I like to play with this guy. It's like he can read my mind sometimes and then I can just relax and lay back on him and depend on him. That's a wonderful feeling when you can depend on the people surrounding you. Oh, yes. Oh my gosh. And uh, just before we run out of time, tell us a little bit about what it's like to stand next to Terrell Stafford and play. Terrell Stafford, the first time I heard Terrell, it was like I was look, listening to an intellectual because he had an approach to it like he had worked everything out. And in a sense, I was right because later 
he asked me, he said, Benny, can you write a letter for me? I said, well, what kind of a letter? He was vying for a position at Temple University. I wrote the letter, he got the position, and it turned out he was a fantastic teacher. Not only did he have his stuff together, but he was accurately telling others how to put their stuff together. So I guess he deals with the double-edged sword when he plays. Yeah, Terrell, Terrell Stafford has a lot to say. And I, what I love about him, he never brags about what he does. What he does and the way he does it comes out when he picks that trumpet up and put it to his lips. And that's what it's all about. Not what you say, but what you do. Mm, thank you for that. You know, it's nice to have him among us. It is nice to have all of these gentlemen and you among us. I'd like to, <clears throat> I'd like for you to share with the audience, the people that are listening in. Um, you know, as as Carl Allen was pointing out, you have a story to every song you've written, and I, I don't know. I'm I'm just sort of throwing a dart at the board of your compositions. <laughs> And because I can choose any of them, but but tell us about Blues March, for instance. Blues March. When I was asked to join Art Blakey, I can't tell you how excited I was because I'd heard his records, you know, and I was impressed. But when I joined his group, there were certain things going on from time to time that I didn't think was proper. We would play for 45 minutes and we had 15 minutes off. And boy, sometimes that 15 minute was an hour. And it just didn't sit right. And I approached him about it. I said, Art, you know, you really should try to be on time. It makes a better impression. So uh, he listened to me, but what I had to do was when it was time to go back, I had to get Art Blakey, wherever he was. And then it got so bad that whenever I walked on the bandstand, the band knew it was time to go back. And then other things were happening too. And I said, Art, and I guess he must have thought I was some kind of prima donna. Art, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm just not, I'm not used to this. And I don't know what he thought. Here I am talking this way to Art Blakey. And uh, I said, Art, we, we need some new tunes. We're just wearing out the old stuff. I said, you play at the end of the tune like an ordinary drummer. And by that time, everybody's tired. We need something that you begin to show that you're the leader of this group at the beginning. Do you remember what you did with Thelonious Monk? Oh, what was that tune? I can't remember the tune. I said, you started with the left hand and then you added the right hand. Then you added your left foot, then the right foot. I said, that was fantastic. It was like four drummers because you were playing four independent things. We've got to come up with something that's different and can garner 
your audience's attention before we even start. Art Blakey is the leader of this group. I said, uh, you have to come up with something like uh, a march. And we both started to laugh. How ridiculous. And I said, I st stopped laughing. And I said, wait a minute. And he looked at me. He never called me Benny. He called me Golson. He said, Golson, he knew what I had on my mind. Nobody plays a march in jazz, only in New Orleans when they're going to the cemetery. I said, Art, I'm not thinking about the typical march. Have you ever heard that college grambling in the South? Have you ever heard them play a march? I said, their marches are dirty and greasy. He said, oh, I don't want to play a march. It'll never work. I said, all right, let, let me try to put this together. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I don't want to play a march. I guess I must have been metaphorically on my knees. Please, I was begging so much. He finally said yes, knowing that it wouldn't work. Okay. So where were we working? We were working in Harlem, 135th and 7th Avenue. I forgot the name of that club. So, okay, we rehearsed, but during the rehearsal, he said, well, what do I do in the beginning? I said, do you remember when the drum and bugle corps used to come through the neighborhood? The bugles were not always playing and they weren't when they weren't playing, the rhythm was playing, the drums, the bass drum, the snare drum, and whatever else was associated with the rhythm. I said, do you remember that sound? Try to get that sound in your mind that this group is playing without the bugles because that's gonna lead us into the march. I said, and when he said, well, how long do I play? I say, play as long as you like. He said, well, how are you, uh, you and Lee going to know when to come in? I said, play a roll off. He said, uh, what's a roll off? <laughs> well, I couldn't play the drum, so I had to do it with my mouth. I said, play this. Boom. Oh, no, sorry. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. He said, oh, Golson, that's corny, man. And the order is not gonna like that. But he agreed to do it and we started off. Now, at, in the club, they had signs on the wall, no dancing. They had four or five signs around no dancing. And it was small. People didn't have room to dance. They had a small table enough for a little setup and that's it, but no dancing. And so he played this and he played the roll off and he came in with that melody. Now, before that, the people were just sitting there. They didn't know a march, how should they act? Doing nothing. And when Lee started to play, I noticed that the head started to move a bit from side to side. Mm -hmm. And later on, I think by the time I came in, they were snapping their fingers and moving their heads from side to side. And 
when it got down a little further, they got up and started dancing and knocking the drinks over. Art looked at me and he said, I'll be damned. And he played Blues March ever since. He never stopped playing it. And I'll tell you, it was hard for people to play it exactly the way he played it. Oh, he put a Bobby Blue Bland backbeat in there. He did everything. By the time we got into the tune, beer and wine was all over the floor. That's how that began. So Blues March almost didn't happen. Oh, that's an amazing story. Wow. I got one more. Now you, you have time? Please. I got one. Do we have time? We're going to take the time. Okay. Uh, I wrote a piece called Killer Joe. Yes, you did. Now, Somehow I got this, I came into my mind, Killer Joe. Well, Killer Joe would be a pimp you know, because of what I used to see at Birdland. These guys would come in with their hair coiffed, dressed to kill a woman on the arm, draped in furs. Sometimes they had one on each arm. Sit the band up, set the, well, they would set up the whole audience and pay with large bills. And I found out that none of these guys worked. Well, how do they, how did they, how did they do this? We left New York, we went to Chicago. I saw the same thing. I saw the same thing in Ohio. Now we came back to play Birdland. And the alto player next to me, he was much older. And he, he saw that I was perplexed. And he leaned over to me and quietly said, these girls work for him. And I said, oh, stenographers. Stenographers at four o'clock in the morning? Yeah, well, you know, you know what it was. So... I decided I had to write this tune. And what name would I give this character? Well, it had to be a common name, Joe. Okay, Joe. What kind of moniker could I give him? Well, I remember when I was a kid and people were selling, guys were selling bootleg whiskey and writing numbers and things like that. There was always somebody in the group named Killer, Killer Williams, Killer Randolph. And I guess that was like uh, to show how great they were and what they were doing, selling booze and doing this and that, and all this stenographers. Mm -hmm. So I started out and for some reason, I had these two chords in mind, C and B flat. But when I played the B flat chord, I kept the C triad on top. So that, that gave it a little different sound. Now, I started out at nine o'clock in the morning and I was working at it 
religiously until about nine o'clock at night. And when I now and, and, and while I was doing this, I kept noticing that my wife, every half hour or so, would leave the apartment. Well, I was busy doing this and I didn't pay any attention to that. But what I did notice, it was the winter time and whenever she left, she left with no scarf, no hat, no gloves, she just slipped. But, but later I found out from hearing these two chords for almost 12 hours, she was about to throw up and that's why she was leaving. And so when I finished it, she was the only one there. So I asked her, Baby, what do you think of this tune? She was waiting to, she was waiting for me to ask her that. It will never make it, never, it's too monotonous. Hmm, but I didn't stop. I said, well, no, let me go on anyway. And uh, we recorded it, Art Farm and I recorded. Now there was a disc jockey, what was his name? Sid, I can't remember his name but he played it religiously. And I had a little speech that I made in the beginning about Killer Joe. That never should have been released. <laughs> I love that part. Yeah. And uh, eventually when we went to the clubs, they start re requesting it at the club, Killer Joe. They released the recording because we recorded it. The money started to come in. Oh, Killer Joe was climbing to success. Now, and I was enjoying it. Yeah, who who turns their nose up at money? Yeah. And uh, things really began to move ahead financially. My wife bought one fur coat. She bought a second fur coat, bought a little jewelry. She bought a third fur coat and she wind up saying I love Killer Joe <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh Benny that's how, that's how that happened <laughs> that's an amazing story you know that's the perfect note to end on first to thank you Benny Golson the maestro thank you Jeffrey Keezer thank you Terrell Stafford Thank you, Carl Allen. I adore thank all of you and everybody have a great night. Thanks. I so thank all of you and you. John, thank you so much. I never expected anything like this and never has anything like this been done for me. Thank oh, you. You're welcome. Have a great night, everybody. Thank you for listening to this Centrum podcast. The creator of Jazz Voicings is program manager Greg Miller, and our host is artistic director John Clayton. Centrum's executive director is Robert Berman. Centrum podcasts are produced by Taven Dotson, Owen Rowe, and Holly Miller. Our executive producer is Joe Gillard. With gratitude and respect, we acknowledge that we broadcast from the traditional lands of the Coast Salish peoples, from the place known by the Squalum people as Katai, and today called Port Townsend, Washington. Centrum programs are based at Fort Warden State Park in Port Townsend. Centrum was founded in 1973 to foster creative arts experiences that change lives and is dedicated to building a world of greater inclusion through the arts. 
Other Centrum podcasts include Artists in Residence, Music from the Centrum Archives, and Readings from the Port Townsend Writers Conference. To subscribe to any of our podcasts or to support or participate in Centrum programs, visit our website at centrum.org. Thank you for listening. This podcast is copyright 2020, Centrum Foundation.